Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello, welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. Firstly, I just want to say thank you to those who came to the Heal Retreat this past weekend. Lots of fun as always. So thank you for coming. Hope it blessed your heart. And today on the show, I have an interview for you where Nick, our wonderful editor, uh, edited out my coughs. So we did, uh, my husband and I got COVID at a wedding recently. So a little bit sick. I sound a little sick, but we still wanted to get you an interview and this guest was more than worth it. So that's what's going on with my voice. Please have grace in there for that. And our guest today is Carly Joyce, who I have recently gotten to know. She has been so brave in stepping out in faith and sharing her story. And I believe this is a now test testimony for us. Carly has gone through over five years of pretty debilitating pain and a lot of it has to do with nerves from a surgery that didn't go as well as we would have liked. And I will let her tell the rest of her story and symptoms. But just suffice it to say, Carly knows what it is to be in pain. And her pain has both caused her to wrestle with God and really come back to the Lord and make her faith her own and see what it really means to follow Jesus amidst this pain. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Here is our new friend of the podcast, Carly Joyce. Carly, thank you so much for coming today through all of the technological issues we had and everything going on. Thanks for sticking with me. Absolutely. I think God just needed this to happen today. He did. Will you tell people a little bit about the post you shared with me this morning about what we've been discussing with this episode and how that was such an encouragement? Yes. When you have pain, you have good days and you have bad days. And this week has been like a culmination of really hard days. And so I was doubting the podcast and just questioning whether we should postpone it or not. But after much encouragement, I decided to move forward with it. And this morning when on Facebook, I looked at one of my memories and it was from two years ago in 2019. And it said, one day God is going to use your story and give it, you're going to tell your story and he's going to use it and give it to the people that need to hear it. So how amazing is it that Two years ago on this day, I shared that. And then I saw it this morning. And as soon as I saw it, I sent it straight to Tara. I'm like, can you believe this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just provided me with encouragement that I am sharing my story and I'm doing what God has called me to do, even amidst the pain. So mm-hmm. what a great way to start this day. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carly, will you share a little bit about what has made this week so hard? We're going to get into your story in a little bit, but we're let's just start there. We're really imperfect human beings. And so I think sometimes we can look at people on this podcast and think they have it all figured out and they don't. And so you're you are in the middle and the thick of things right now. So what's been going on? 
Yeah, so I'm right at the five-year mark of my pain journey. And, you know, in a pain journey, is going if it doesn't end, it's going to kind of spread out into all parts of your life. And right now, I have had to take a leave of absence from my beloved career of teaching. And this week, just seeing, like, the impacts that that is having on me, I didn't really realize how much my brain was processing me not being a teacher this year and being at school. But this week has kind of put things into reality for me after visiting the school and just thinking in my head, this should be me. This shouldn't be the way it's happening. But God gently reminds me, but this is where you are. And it doesn't mean that I've given up my career forever. It's just, as I like to call it, a season of rest for me just to kind of figure out if I can continue teaching or what pain techniques I can find that might allow me to go back in the future. Yeah. That is just kind of where we are with my career right now. It is on pause, but it is not done forever. So thank God for that. Yeah. Just waiting on his timing, right? Exactly. It's all in his timing. Which is super easy to have the patience to do that, right? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) But if I think about like how it's kind of played out this year for me to be at home, our finances have lined up perfectly, not perfectly, no finances are perfect, but we're in a place where I'm able to stay at home and not have to worry about finances as much. And my son is in preschool this year. He has Fridays off. We were kind of debating on whether to send him to kindergarten or not. And we ultimately, before I even knew I wasn't teaching this year, we decided to keep him in pre-K. So that gives me like the stay-at-home mom title on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So that's just a gift of time that I'll never be able to replace or get back. So I have to look at the good, even though I would much rather not have this pain and be in the classroom and be teaching and shaping those little minds. I have my own little boy to do that with. And so I'm very thankful for that. So you can always put a positive spin on it, right? I try to, but in the moment this week, I was like, how is this good? (laughs) But when I reflect on it and pray about it, God softens my heart and makes me realize that there are some good, but this is your situation. This is the gravity of it. This is what the weight of it is of five years in pain. You know, I taught four years before this point of being like, I can't do it anymore. So I've struggled through and dealt with it. And now I'm taking my season of rest. I think the key that you said there is, well, when I pray about it with God, because I think if you don't give it to God, that bitterness just festers out of control. Oh, it does. And it's like, poor me. And you take pity on yourself and you just have to turn it into praise for God and ask him or invite him into it. How are you going to use this? This is the way I feel, but how are you going to use this? Because this is not the way you want me to feel. Yeah. I think it's your story is really encouraging for people, I hope, because it's not this example of, well, I've seen God in the past and now I'm good forever, because they're going to see that you have seen God do a lot and you have a lot to stand on of these miracle markers of things he's used your story for. But then guess what? It's still hard. 
Like that pain is still real and that bitterness is still very tempting. It's so day-to-day life that hits me. You know, those big moments I is using things that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but it's the everyday mundane moments and those moments of like agony and pain that I'm like, okay, God, I need you right now. I need yeah. you to fix this. But he doesn't. He doesn't right now. He doesn't snap his fingers and fix it. That's not to say he won't seven years from now. Right. But right now, there's a reason that he's not fixing it. Yeah. And I may never know that reason. Yeah. And good to admit that because as much as we long for that, that is not guaranteed. Carly, will you take us back? Let's backtrack. That's where you are now. But people I know are like, what is her pain? Where did this come from? So take us back. Where did this start? And what has been a little bit of your pain journey? Okay, so I'm going to back it up a little bit further than that to 2015. In 2015, my husband and I were ready to start a family. We actually suffered through one miscarriage, and then we could not get pregnant for about four to five months after that. And so on the day that I was supposed to start fertility treatments, because they said I hadn't ovulated, we found out we were pregnant with Aiden, and he is our five-year-old boy now. So everything was smooth sailing in the pregnancy until about April of 2016 when I started having heart palpitations and dizziness and scary things you don't want someone to have in pregnancy. Yeah. They automatically thought, you know, preeclampsia or anything pregnancy related. But later, about three weeks later, they would find that I had a severe heart defect and it was congenital, but it never showed itself until I was pregnant. So that is important to know the heart defect because in July of 2016, my OB decided that we are going to do an early induction at 39 weeks, hoping to have Aiden naturally and do an early epidural to hopefully speed things up. So Aiden was determined to come on July 27th, 2016. That actually happens to be his great grandmother's birthday. She was 87 that year. So they're 87 years apart. My water broke that morning before the scheduled induction. So we got there earlier than scheduled and I labored all day long. And then in the afternoon, things started to get a little bit scary with my heart rate. It climbed way high and his, every time mine climbed, his dropped. And so it was just kind of like a seesaw for a couple hours until it was no longer safe for us to continue. What what does that mean? Like for someone who hasn't been pregnant before, understand the ins and outs. That's that's not good. But what does that really mean? For me, it just meant that my heart rate was like in the 200s. And like that is not safe at all because it should be. I'm not sure what it is for a pregnant woman, but I know like a normal heart rate is less than 100. So mine was very high. I was obviously monitored. So they were making sure I wasn't like going into cardiac arrest or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But his, every time that happened, his would drop. And I don't even know what number it dropped to. I just remember my mom and husband saying every time mine went up, his went down. Mm -hmm. And so they did try to give me some medications to calm down my heart. But because the water was broken early that morning, I spiked a fever. His heart rate was still low. Mine was still high despite all the efforts to lower it. So that evening around, I think it was 8.30, they called an emergency C-section. They were kind of worried about 
his heart at that point in my heart. And it was more than just a C-section. It was, we got to get this baby out yeah. and stabilize this mama. Next thing I know, all these people are in my room and all I wanted was just to tell my mama and she had to like stepped out for something. But I was in an OR probably within about five minutes of them calling it. And I was awake. I was very out of it, but I was awake. They didn't like put me under general anesthesia. And at 9.08, our little miracle baby boy, Aiden, was born. And he came out screaming and crying, which is like the <laughs> best sound you want to hear. Yeah. So he's been good and healthy. He is good. He is good and healthy. They did determine later on that he does have the same heart defect that I have. His is not as severe as mine. So they're just watching it. He has no limitations for sports or anything like that. But I did have to have heart surgery after Aiden was born, not immediately, but a few months after, but that is fine now. So the heart is good. What is the heart defect? It's called atrium septal defect, and that is where there's a hole within the atrium of your heart, and it's something with, like, the blood flow, and it just, it can be dangerous if it's not fixed or corrected, and there's another kind, and it's called PFO, but I'm not exactly sure all the parts of that one, but that is the one that they think my son has. So, and that one does not require surgery or anything like that. It eventually corrects itself. Interesting. Okay. So people are like, oh, well, clearly your pain is from this heart defect and that is not true. So where did the pain end up coming from? After the C-section and after the heart surgery, I thought I was okay. And I went home from the C-section and I was assured that this pain I was having at the time was just completely related to the C-section surgery. And it was about a month after that, when things should have been much better, that I realized that I was still needing more than Tylenol to control my pain. And things that should not hurt were hurting, like going from like a sitting position to a standing position or just kind of moving around and walking in general. I remember being in the grocery store and kind of like hobbling and someone asked me if I'd had a C-section. And I was like, I did like two months ago. And they're like, wow, like they thought it was like two weeks ago. But I think the moment for me that I knew something was wrong is when I was climbing a flight of stairs and I just felt this like sharp piercing, like what you think a knife would feel like Mm -hmm. in one spot in my incision. And I remember thinking, this cannot be normal. But anyways, we fast forward and my OB continues to tell me it's all normal. It's just healing. Give it more time. And that kind of goes on to about February or March of 2017. At that point, we realized it is, this is not normal. And so we start being referred out to specialists. Yeah. So, I mean, were you thinking that you're crazy at this point? Because I see a lot of similarities to my own story where I think a lot of people's natural instinct is to tell yourself you're fine and you've never had a C-section before. So who are you to know that it's not normal? And of course you're in pain. You had your stomach cut open and then slowly going through that, you're like, hey, I don't think this is okay. Right. At that point, like, I didn't think I was crazy. I thought that maybe I just needed more time to heal than other people. But later, there will be a point in my story where I do think I'm crazy. But at that point, it still felt kind of normal-ish for me. Yeah. So then after that, 
what was the first diagnosis and was that first diagnosis accurate? Like when you actually figure out what was wrong, were there some misdiagnoses first? Absolutely. So I was referred out to a pain, a pelvic pain specialist at a major hospital in our area. And they went to endometriosis because I'd had that before Aiden was born. And since I didn't have a vaginal delivery, they thought it could still be there causing pain or maybe like implanting itself on the actual incision. So they did a laparoscopy in June of 2017 and everything came back normal. So for people, I know what endometriosis is because my mom had it. So that's like your uterus attaches to all your internal organs. Right. Super painful. Growing cells kind of think cancer, but not cancer. It's not dangerous like cancer, but cells grow and attach to other things like cancer. And it does cause a lot of pelvic pain. So that was why they were thinking, hey, she's had that. It's probably that. Because their first instinct is not to jump to, hey, it's nerve damage. Right. But after the laparoscopy where they went in and looked around and didn't see anything, nerve damage was thrown around, but they weren't certain it was that. And at this point, I'm going to say it's very hard to diagnose nerve damage. It's not like blood work that comes back and you have it. Yeah. You have to go through a lot of tests and nerve blocks to see if the nerve responds and that takes a lot of technique and practice as well because there's so there's like a highway of nerves down there oh my in gosh. that section area and your body is insane like there's so many types of nerve dissonance so many and there's so many different branches and so you have to really know what you're doing and what you're targeting and which nerve you want to target when you do a nerve block, I'd had in 2017 and 2018, I had, I wouldn't call them nerve blocks. I would call them more cortisone shots into the area just to kind of numb it, but they weren't targeted on a certain nerve. So even though they thought it was nerve damage, I really wasn't clearly diagnosed with it until July of 2019. So now that is three years after Aiden was born. And you are having pretty severe pain throughout was it off and on this pain has not gone away it is there are day or there are days that the pain is better and there are also like positions that I'm in where the pain is better like sitting is better than walking and standing and bending but as time went on the pain just got worse and worse and worse and it kind of like I talked about earlier it just starts rippling out into all areas of your life And so in 2018, that was when I started to think that I was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So like for people trying to, I hate the pain scale one to 10. I really hate a strong word, but I really don't like it. I want doctors to create a, something they can put on their head and then they can feel your pain and then they can gauge how much pain you're in because people's pain skills are not the same. And they even say like after someone has given birth to a child without an epidural, they take their pain skills a lot more seriously, which is funny. But I was also talking to my friend who's a med student and he was like, yeah, but if that was a thing, like no one would want to become a doctor. Like, can you imagine how draining that would be all day to feel other people's pain? Anyway, you need something like that to really get across how much pain that you're in right people like if you lose a leg or you break a bone they can see it Uh it's visible but 
with nerve damage and it being an incision on your stomach, they're not going to see it. And it's hard to really uh-huh. understand what they're going through or right. what their pain is like. And especially when you don't have a diagnosis at all at that moment. And so, and like your body to give doctors grace, like your body will borrow nerves from other places. Like that's why people, when they have a heart attack, feel it in their like arm because it's like, Hey, I don't have things, you know, I think your stomach, they can cut it open in a surgery. I might be blowing smoke here, but I, I'm pretty sure. And no anesthetic. And it doesn't hurt you because you're stomach is only made to feel pain with like expansion or blockage because that's what it would most likely you know something getting stuck in there from you eating that's the kind of pain it would need to figure out so that's what it's designed to do so if it has something else your body borrows pain so I get that it can be different but with this horribly inept tool one to ten what would you say like I know your days are different but like consistently through this five years like, do you have a constant five all the time? I don't know my, how good my pain tolerance is, but I would dare to say it hangs in a seven or eight most days. Wow. And the first year, it may not have been as bad, but like I said, as time has gone on, I don't know if the pain has gotten worse or if it just is affected my whole life and every activity that I do, like from picking up my child to giving my child a bath to just being on my feet all day teaching, to coming home and cooking dinner, it just never stops. Like the pain never goes away, but certain movements do make it worse or like sitting can make it a little bit better, but just sitting right here right now, I still am probably at a five or six. It's just like a pulsating, burning, kind of nagging, I'm still here kind of pain. So in this... I was talking to my friend the other day and the thing about physical pain is that I feel like even people who do not believe in God, they're pushed to think about the spiritual side of life because you can't ignore pain. You can't think that this is going to be okay, that the American dream is going to work out. Like it's just there all the time. And so I know you said that in this story, it pushed you back to God. So I think a lot of times pain can turn you away from God or it can bring you close. So what was your spiritual side going on? How did this kind of direct you back to God? Well, at first I was very angry at God and I'm going to back it up a minute and say that my whole life I've always claimed myself as a Christian. I grew up in a Southern Methodist church. You know, I went through baptism and confirmation and all of those things. And I had moments where I really felt close to God, but I never had a moment where I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I had been saved. And so when this pain journey started, I have always been blessed with a lot of incredible like Christian leaders and mentors in my life. And a lady that was, is very special to me. Her name is Cindy. She was actually my seventh grade teacher a long time ago and one that inspired me to be a teacher, but she is my second mama. She read scripture at my wedding. Like she's just never left my side. And so I definitely look up to her, you know, as a spiritual kind of like leader and mentor. And like I said, I call her my second mama, but she knew this whole time that I was struggling in my faith. And, you know, she had given me scripture and Bible verses and even like a new Bible with like scripture highlighted in it. But she, because she knew my heart and I think she knew that I probably wasn't saved and it had kind of been on her heart to 
pull me in. So in October of 2018, I had had another surgery with my OB that did the C-section just to explore and see if he could find anything that was going on. Because at this point, I still did not have that nerve damage diagnosis. It was thrown around, but it was never, this is what you have. So after that surgery, she was supposed to come over and visit. And I told her, you know, that morning, kind of like I was trying to cancel on this. (laughs) I was like, no, I really don't feel great because I really was having a lot of pain that day. And I was recovering from surgery. And I was like, let's just reschedule for another day. Well, about two hours later, there's a knock on my door and the doorbell rings. And I knew, I knew it was her. I was like, she showed up anyway. (laughs) So it's pouring down rain outside. I have to let her in. I can't leave her outside. I'm like, why did she show up? I was a little frustrated. And she knows that. We laugh about it now. But she comes in to my house because I have to let her in because it's raining. And she sits down and she starts just talking to me about God and the road she reads the Roman road to me the scriptures that you would have read to you when you're trying to lead someone to Christ and she was like you have this beautiful life beautiful family but you have to have God so at that point I kind of I glanced over at a portrait of my son and I looked back at her and I was like I'm ready and so she read a beautiful scripture prayed with me we both cried And that was the day in 2018 that I know with a shadow of a doubt that Christ is my savior. So that's how it kind of turned at first it turned me away. Then it turned me to him. And I'd like to say that at that point, everything was great and my pain was diagnosed and we're good to go, but that is not what happened. You know, three years later, I'm still struggling with this same pain, but the difference is I have peace with God now. And there are still days where I question him and I have bitterness and I go through all the emotions, but I know that at the end of my life, I'm going to be in heaven and I, I can trust that he will restore this body in his way once I get there. Yeah. First off, that's a beautiful salvation story. And I think God could have and would have brought you into the fold through another means, but how beautiful to say, yeah, this pain journey is, is what led me to that moment of surrender. But it was like he had to break me almost to the bottom for me to realize that I truly needed him. Which I think a lot of us, it takes that. You told me in some of our exchanges back and forth, you said being used by God in my storm is far greater than being healed. Most wow. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a bold statement. I think it is true when you're walking with the Lord and surrendered, but it does not feel like that some days. So dig into that. There are some days where I'm like, God, why can't you just fix it? Why are you still using me? Like, I'm tired of being used. I just want my pain better, you know? And I have to be honest about that and say that there are lots of days like that. But then there's also days where I see him at work through the t-shirt money that we'll probably talk about. Yeah, yeah. The healing of the other patient, just being able to understand people's pain better, not just physical, but emotional as well. And just being more empathetic of that and being more of the body of Christ and kind of knowing how to support them 
more than I did before I was yeah. saved. So go there a little bit. Tell us about, we're kind of following a chronological path with some little detours. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened with, I don't know what number surgery, but going to this doctor. So after I was saved, it was about a week later, I decided I was going to, after prayer, I decided I was going to start looking for a doctor out of state. So I Google searched like C-section nerve damage. And then the doctor out of state that I will eventually go to popped up. And the first article was, why do you have nerve pain after C-sections? And so I immediately like sent him my records and was like, when can you see me? And so he was the one that in July of 2019, he officially, we went up to Maryland, he officially diagnosed me with nerve damage after his very specific nerve blocks. And so he decided that he would go in and remove the two nerves, which were the, it's going to be hard for me to say this nerve, ilioinguinal nerve. Wow. I'm going to break it into syllables. <laughs> Nicely done. Iliophysgastric nerves. He determined that those are the nerves he thought were involved based on the location of my incision. And so before my surgery, I was very nervous about out-of-state surgery and just removing nerves in general because I did not want any more further nerve damage. And he told me then he was like, I can, nerve damage is permanent. You're going to have it the rest of your life, but I can make attempts to make it better, but it could make it worse. So we come back home. The surgery is scheduled. Not super comforting. (laughs) It's not, but I'm thankful that he did tell me that because yeah, reality. I didn't want to put all of my hope in that one surgery. Right. So we come home, we prepare for surgery And an idea just crosses my mind to do like t-shirts as a symbol of prayer. And so we decided to do the t-shirts and I was like, oh, I don't want to keep the money. Like, I don't want it to be about me. So I'm going to donate it to his institute that he works at for whatever they want to do, research or patient care or whatever. So we create the t-shirts and we raise the money and it's about $500 that is raised. So not a sub- huge amount, but yeah. it was what Something. God needed that person to have. So when we go up for surgery, I give them the money for the t-shirts after the surgery. And I also give him a t-shirt as well. And I donate the money and that's in September of 2019. I do not hear about where the money went or anything like that until two years later at my post-surgery appointment for my second surgery. It's like a televisit. So I'm at home and he's in his state and he says, by the way, I want you to know that we gifted the money from the t-shirts to a patient who needed extra money for her procedure and that money helped her get healed. And I just kind of look at him because it's like out of place, like two years later. And I say, Oh, wow, that's great. And it really is great. But in my heart, I was like, okay, okay, God help me soften me because I'm giving money, like t-shirt money to someone else to get healed and they're healed and I'm still struggling in pain. So yeah, I wanted to be like overjoyed about it, but it was, it was hard. 
because in that same appointment, we determined that the second surgery was not successful. And that's when we started looking at like leaves of absences from work, yeah. possible disability in the future, just all these grim outlooks. And, but the, this other patient is healed. So I'm like, okay, God, I know you're not done with me yet, but show me what you need me to see. Well, and you're just like, I'm trying to be obedient, God. Like I'm doing good. This is kind of like our entitled way most of us view Christianity, right? Until I think some people call it the second naivety that we have to break through. Or at first we're like, become a Christian and we're like, everything's amazing. And God's answering all these prayers. And then it's like, wait a second. Like I am, I am following you and more than other people I know. So let's like stick the sin of comparison in there as well. And then like, you're going to use what I do to heal someone else, but not heal me. That is a reckoning right there. Did you come to a resolution on that or just still there? Yeah. I'm still there because that was about three months ago. So I'm still processing Oh, that's really that. recent. Yes. Yes. But I do know that he is using me and I have to turn that. And even though I haven't fully processed it yet, I have to think that, you know, it is an honor to be used by the king of the world, like Jesus. It, like he is using you because I'm just a small town girl. I don't have like, I'm not super famous or anything like that. So to be used by him, I think, you know, the quote that I gave you is far greater than being healed. That's what I mean by that. It is an honor that he would use me for someone else's answered prayer. Yeah. And it's kind of like a call to all Christians because it's not that I'm better than someone else to be used. Anyone can be used by God if they listen to him and they're obedient to his call. Yeah. I mean, that's in the word. It's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome. So all you're doing now is you're getting to share it with a few more people. And I do believe this is a big blessing to at least one, but I'm sure many more people today. So where are you now currently? So are we almost caught up? Well, first off, at that, you, there was one story about the doctor there. It was really encouraging that he was a Christian, right? We missed that story. Let's go there for a second. Let's do that. So my doctor in Maryland, the surgeon that performed two surgeries on me, one in September of 2019, and then one most recently in May of 2021, when I found him after prayer, I did not know that he was a believer. I didn't know he was a Christian. I didn't know that when we were doing the t-shirt fundraiser because there was a verse on the back of the t-shirt that said, even if not, God is so good. And that is like one of my go-tos. And that is Daniel 3.18. So that was kind of like my, I cling to that. And so when I gave him the shirt after surgery, like the next day, he looks at it and he sees the Bible verse and that is an open conversation for him to say, oh, you're also a believer, you know, because of a lot of professions, you don't really push that, not push it, right. but you don't really know if someone's a Christian or not in a lot of professions. So that opened the door for him to say, oh, I'm also a believer and so after that, the whole, I mean, he's always been incredible and amazing, but the whole kind of demeanor changed a little bit and it was softer. And it was like, we were talking like from believer to believer. And in that room, exam room, he sat down and he prayed. And at the end of it, I was like, are you a preacher too? <laughs> um, 
but he was like, no, I'm like, well, you could be, but it was just the most beautiful prayer anyone has ever prayed over me. And it wasn't God heal her. It was God use my talents to help me heal her so that she can use her talents in the classroom or with her children or whatever it may be. But it, it was the, the theme was God use us. And so I thought that was absolutely incredible and little did we know that two years later he would then use that t-shirt money to help a patient so god used both of us so because he could have easily given it to research or to medical equipment or whatever but he decided to use it on a patient so i think that in itself just speaks to his character yeah And I bet there's a doctor or a nurse listening right now. And what an encouragement to them because I feel like this podcast, just being real, a lot of times we see kind of the underbelly of the health industry and that a lot of things go wrong a lot of times. And we have very complex bodies, but how beautiful, you know, for believers in just the whole medical field to be able to minister to people like that. I have a doctor I know who's a Christian who says that he operates in the gift of healing, which we think like, well, that's someone who just, you know, puts their hand on you and miraculously heals you. But how cool to think of the gift of healing as being someone who's using their talents, using their school and their training to heal other people. And their hands every day, using their hands. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I'm so glad you had him. You might be going back right? At this point, surgical options with him are pretty much limited, if not null and void at this point. He has removed, like I said, I have to say that word again, ileoinguinal, I think, uh-huh. um, ileophysgastric. And he also, in this recent surgery, removed the genitofemoral nerve on the left side of my incision. He actually opened the entire incision up to the midpoint and he was able to remove those nerves and bury them into my abdominal wall which is what they do when they remove nerves huh they don't take them out they bury them in your abdomen like in the muscle i guess tissue of the abdominal wall do you know why that is fascinating I, I've never been able to understand it. He's explained it in, you know, his doctor terms, yeah. but basically um, you have a nerve root as well, and that cannot be removed. That I'm thinking it has, it might be connected to your spinal cord. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure. I know the nerves that I have involved are peripheral nerves, so they're not directly attached to right. the spinal cord, which means they can be removed but it's the nerve root that my doctor believes is causing the pain now. Cause like you said in the beginning, you know, he can make attempts to help it or he can also, you know, make it worse unintentionally. And so that's kind of what we're thinking happened. He just made the nerve root angry. And in his words, he cannot get the nerve root to shut up. (laughs) So at this point, he could go in on the right side and remove the genital femoral nerve, but the pain has always been focused on the left side, one spot I can put my finger on. So we don't really think any kind of surgery with him would be helpful at this point. So where are you now? Well, he is definitely still my doctor. He is he has prescribed um, a lot of different nerve medications that I'm on to kind of control the nerve pain to the best of 
the ability of the medicine. He has put me in contact with another doctor that he knows that does the spinal cord stimulators. So we are praying over that option. That is a very scary option. They actually insert a stimulator into your spine in hopes of controlling that nerve or all the nerves in that area. So he's, you know, definitely talked with me about that option. And he also encouraged me to take a leave of absence from work and to really just focus on rest and possibly disability later on. But he's kind of guiding me through that. So right now I'm just in a season of waiting. I don't really know where I'm going. And that's very hard for me to say because I'm always this type A person that Mm -hmm. needs to have a plan. But right now I don't, my career is on pause. I'm at home resting. Some days I struggle for a purpose because I'm like, what, I mean, my child's at school. What do I do all day? Like, I don't want to be in bed, you know, because we mentioned earlier, it, it makes it worse when you stay in bed, not just physically, but mentally, you have to get up and give yourself a purpose. And so I'm struggling to find that at the moment, but I think sharing my story and digging deeper into God's word every day is one way that I'm fulfilling that purpose Mm -hmm. and just giving my body rest. We're looking at other surgical options as far as like a hysterectomy maybe in the future it wouldn't get rid of the pain, but it might help it some with inflammation and swelling. So we're just looking at a lot of different options and just kind of being still and waiting. One of my good friends said, you're not stuck. You're just being still and waiting for God. Like that Bible verse, be still and know that I'm God. So I'm just kind of in that season right now of not really knowing what to do. And the pain is still probably I would say worse after the second surgery mm-hmm. in May, but you know, I'm just taking it day by day at this point. Yeah. Cause if Wait. I look too far ahead, it scares me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's why there's so much in the Bible, right? Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow. will worry about itself. Well, when you live in pain, you understand why you shouldn't be worrying about all those other days. Cause you can't, face them and that's not our burden to carry I think you were talking earlier about this the burden of it all and it's like how do you on a daily basis give that burden to God is that a conscious thing I'm sure you have days where you win that and days where you lose that choice I think for me it's a constant everyday surrender it's not a one-time deal here God take my pain it's I'm having to give it back to him and inviting him in the pain every single day because if I don't, I will journey into a land of white bitterness and why are you allowing this God? Mm -hmm. But if I just open up the day with God, I still have pain. I still woke up with pain today, but you take it and you use it how you need to. And then I also repeat on a daily basis. I remember one day I was in Target with my son and I was walking out and walking is something that's hard for me some days and the pain was like intense. And I remember just praying to God, give me the grace to get through this day. Give me the strength. Your grace is sufficient. So it's like a constant handing it over to him, softening my heart, you know, not blaming him for the pain, but just allowing him in. That gets me through the day. Yeah. You said the word inviting, which I think is really good because I think a lot of times what you're saying is a surrender, right? Or asking for help. But I also think 
And I don't know if you do this, but being honest with God and saying, God, I'm mad at you right now. I'm mad at you. I want to be bitter. Will you help me not be bitter towards you? Which sounds ridiculous that we need the Holy Spirit to not be angry at him or to grow with God. But but we do. We're honestly so helpless. <laughs> that shows us that we know that he's in control and that he is capable uh-huh. by inviting him in. I think just that invitation of saying, God, I'm really angry right now. Will you just sit with me? Or whatever it is, like, I think we would be stunned if we did that. God just wants our honesty. He already knows. He knows your heart better than you. You know, with seeing my career on pause, I'm like, I feel like I've hit rock bottom, but I haven't done anything wrong to hit rock bottom. So just allowing him to kind of soften my heart this week and take the bitterness away Uh has been a constant prayer for me because, you know, you can feel the bitterness, you can feel the anger, but you can't stay there because it's not going to get you to a place that glorifies God. So so not staying in this, I feel like the beautiful part of your story, Carly, I think is all the way through. It's like you have breakthroughs and then you have horrible setbacks and it's like holding these two things at the same time, both pain and joy and grief and celebration. It goes all the way through all these different areas, which can honestly feel like a roller coaster in a sense, which really, I think pain is just an exemplified version of the roller coaster a lot of people face in general in our lives. Because I heard recently, our pastor is saying he saw a study research who don't ask me how they know this. But they said that people who live in the West actually control only 15% of what they think they control, which is why we're probably so neurotic a lot of the times because we're trying to control things that we cannot control. So how do you get through this roller coaster? You're in this place. You're not coming here saying, hey, I've been healed. Although I think that perspective is great as well, but you're in it right now. What advice maybe would you give to someone who's like, Carly, I am buckled in next to you. I am on that roller coaster. What would you say to me? I would just say, you better buckle in and hold tight because you're going to have really good days where the pain is not so bad. And then you're going to have days where you struggle. But I think the biggest thing for me that gets me through the day is like we talked about inviting God in. And then the other thing, which I think is kind of cool is finding joy. And my last name is Joyce. So (laughs) just finding that joy in the day, and it might just be, seeing my son smile or laugh or being able to play with him or being able to go on a field trip with him at school because I've never been able to do that before. But just looking for something to give you joy in that day and also giving yourself grace because you're not going to be able to conquer the world like you think you would do without the pain. Some days I don't cook dinner, even though I'm a stay at home mom now, you know, I just have to give myself grace and know that I'm doing the best that I can. And that is, it comes with a lot of mom guilt because I feel like there's so many things I can't do with Aiden that a normal mom could, but I have to focus on what I can do. I can take him to the park. I can push him on a swing. I can't go down the slide with him, but there are things that I can do. And also just being present with those people when you're with them and not like mindlessly scrolling on my phone, but really giving him that devoted time that, 
you know, makes me feel better. It feels like I'm, you know, giving him something. And then I would also say just accepting help. At the very beginning of this journey, I was not someone that accepted help at all. But I've learned to, when a friend says, hey, can I bring dinner over? Absolutely, you can bring dinner over. <laughs> and you don't want to deny them of that blessing either because they want to help you and they want to fix your pain and they can't fix it quote unquote, but they can do things to help. So allow that. And I think the other thing maybe is, you know, when you can be a light to others, you know, be there for them. I know you have pain. I know that you're in that struggle and storm of your life, but you can do something to help others, whether it's taking them a meal or sending them a cup of coffee or, putting a box of donuts on their door or coffee or whatever. I've learned through this that the community of Christ is super strong and you have to be part of that community and you have to be willing to help others despite your own storm. And willing to receive, right? Oof. Right. Yeah. Those are the things that get me through, you know, helping others and all those things. So That's so good, Carly. And I feel like you really spoke to someone on the bomb guilt thing. Because that, that's just super good wisdom. There's so much comparison in this world as it is, much less let's add some chronic pain or a chronic illness into there. And goodness gracious. Can't let that comparison steal your, I think it's comparison is the thief of joy or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Can't let them or let that steal your joy. Yeah. Okay, Carly, what is on your heart right now? Were there parts of your story that we missed? Is there anything you want to say to someone listening on the other side who's in a lot of pain? What did we not get to? I would just say, you know, if there's, I know that there are people listening here that are like, oh, it's great. You can find joy and all these things. But that is what gets me through. And there are definitely hard days where I don't want to find the joy and I just kind of want to sulk you know, and I would say that it's okay to have days like that, but you can't stay there. You have to just keep moving forward and buckling in on that roller coaster and know that there are going to be better days. And I've learned, you know, in this journey to reach out to people, you know, and say, Hey, I'm struggling today. Can you pray for me? Or this is a really hard day. And I have my tribe now, my mama tribe, where I can go to friends and say that in a safe place. And you just need to find that community because they will carry you through. Yeah. Just like the friends who carried that man all the way through the roof and lowered him down in front of Jesus. What friends do. Uh, I love it, Carly. Thank you so much for coming on today. I just feel like you have spoken some life and just allowed some people to relate to the place you're in right now. Thank you for continuing to fight the good fight. And thank you for doing this amidst even a hard, hard week. Yes. But, you know, like you said, it's in those raw moments where you have growth yourself and then you can also shed light to others. I love that. So good. Carly, is there some way people can connect with you? Can they follow you? On Instagram or anything like that? Yes, I have my personal Instagram, but I also have been praying about an Instagram page where I can shed light to others and, you know, just share things that, you know, I'm going through day-to-day life, things like that. And so joy in her name and heart is my Instagram page. All right. I'll link it in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Carly. Thank you for doing this. You're a absolute joy, pun intended. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share my story. So thank you for allowing me to do that today. Thank you to Carly for coming on the show today. I know that she would really cherish your prayers if you would take a second to pray for her as she continues in wrestling with God. She is right in the thick of this, just like you are. And please pray for my husband, Jacob, and me as we continue to recover. And please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss another episode. Check out Carly's Instagram. I link that in the show notes. Tell her thank you for being on the show. And we will see you here again with another episode next Monday. Have a great week.